Gator Nation and welcome into the latest edition of Locked On Gators, your team every day. I'm your host, Zach Albaverde, staff writer for the Lake City Reporter. What's up, Florida fans? Welcome into the latest edition of Locked On Gators. On today's show, we're going to talk some Florida football and Florida baseball with Nick Del Torre from Gator Country. I'll also bring you some comments from Florida coach Mike White previewing Tuesday night's game against Mississippi State. But let's start first with Nick Del Torre. Here is my conversation with him this week. We now welcome in Nick Del Torre from Gator Country to talk some Florida football, the offseason, and definitely have him touch on some Florida baseball as well. Nick, welcome back into Lockdown Gators. How's it going, my friend? Going well, going well. Busy season with uh, football and recruiting and basketball is underway and baseball, softball right around the corner. So a lot of stuff going on and can't forget gymnastics, a lot of, a lot of spring sports. But obviously basketball being your favorite without a doubt. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Everyone's enjoying that season, right? Absolutely. Well, your second favorite season, football, just ended in the fall. The Gators had another successful year under Dan Mullen, reaching 11 wins, another New Year's Six Bowl. You and I, I think, last talked about the team after the LSU game. From there, the Tigers went on to win the national championship. We saw how Florida was able to compete in Baton Rouge. Now taking a few weeks away from the season and having a chance to reflect on everything they did in 2019. What are your thoughts on what kind of Dan Mullen was able to accomplish in year two? I think higher than, I don't want to say a lot of people, but I think higher than most. Obviously, we're not fans, so we're not as emotionally invested into beating Georgia and, and, and stuff like that. But I feel like that was kind of really deflating for uh, at least a good portion of the fan base that I, I've interacted with. It just in, you know, not going to win the East, not beating Georgia again, second year in a row. So I think for me, that was, you know, the season kind of flew by after the Georgia game. But if you look at it, you went from 10 wins to 11. We talked all offseason about, Sam Mullen did at least, about how hard it would be harder to go from 10 wins to 11 than it would be from go to 4 to 10. And now you're looking at, all right, well, how much harder it will be to go from 11 to 12 and the SC championship game in a playoff. So I think ultimately, if you look back at the season and um, look at it for, for what it was, it, it was a really successful season for Florida, more successful than, than I possibly thought they, that, that they would have prior to it, um, just given how hard that schedule was, or at least how hard it looked before, you know, FSU and Miami completely fell apart. And I don't think that Dan Mullen and Brian Johnson really had gotten enough credit for what they accomplished with Kyle Trask. Like, it was such a seamless transition, and the Gators were able to go out and compete in some big-time games that, I don't know, I mean, for most teams, and Dan Mullen did say this during the year, but most teams lose their starting quarterback and are not able to remain in the top ten and have the success that Florida did. So You and I, the conductors of the trash train, we knew. <laughs> we knew. I, we I knew. I knew when he got in there, he would play well. I did not think that he would throw for 300 yards in his first road start at LSU. Mm-hmm. But now when you look at where he's at and where the rest of the SEC is, the Gators are actually in a position now where they're bringing back the best returning quarterback for 2020. And I think that, along with the receivers that they've been able to load up with, with Justin Shorter and some of the other additions, Xavier Henderson, 
I think this offense has a chance to still be very successful next year. Hey, uh, Trav comes in and really only plays the last quarter against Kentucky, right? Because Felipe gets hurt in the last quarter. So he plays 12 games, completes almost 67% of his passes, 59 yards short of 3,000, 25 touchdowns, seven interceptions, averaging 245 a game. This is a kid who, and obviously, you know, you and I, and everyone in the media room, by the time, you know, the national media started picking up on Florida, we're, you know, they're asking Kyle questions about, you haven't started since, you know, your freshman year of high school on the freshman team. I'm like, hey, man, he's answered this question 870 times over the last <laughs> month. Um, but I think, you, like you said, to your point, remarkable the job. First off, Kyle Trash, just for staying ready, getting ready, and being ready. Because uh, I'd be like Blue Mountain State's backup quarterback. If, you know, I, I would just be enjoying parties and enjoying <laughs> what being a football player was. And, and if Felipe gets hurt in Kentucky, I'm coming in, and I'm going Adam Lane, Birmingham ball. I'm like, I'm not ready for this. I'm – uh, I'm not ready for this at all. So for me, it's as much as Mullen and um, and Brian Johnson get credit credit to Kyle Trask for staying ready as well. And and like you said, I mean you're getting four offensive linemen back. Really, I think Lorenzo Lingard has a good chance to get a waiver. Um, Damian Pierce, Malik Davis. So you know, and, and then the wide receivers getting Trayvon Grimes and Tony back. I understand the fans' frustration with Tony and his touches per game, but. You've got a lot coming back. I feel a lot better now about the wide receivers than I did, you know, three weeks ago. Yeah, you mentioned Lingard, and I said Justin Short, who they just got on Sunday, and he's also going to apply for a waiver, and we'll see if he's able to, to get that. But just another offseason where Dan Mullen and the staff have won the transfer portal, and I talked about it on Monday's episode, Could, but can you just give your thoughts on, on what they've been able to do? Because – for the first couple of years that he was recruiting here, obviously we know that was a big storyline that there mm-hmm. wasn't any five stars being signed. But I think year by year we see that they're able to kind of make up for that with the guys that they're able to find in the transfer portal. Now they have added five-star talent mm-hmm. to the roster. And I, I don't know if there's been a staff in the country over the last maybe two or three years that have navigated the transfer portal better than Mullen and his staff. Yeah, and it was, it was a big question for me of them coming in, being at Mississippi State, listen, you're going to have kids that just flat out tell you, hey, man, I'm not, I'm not going to start now. Nothing <laughs> against you, you know, nothing against Mississippi State, um, but I'm not going there. And, and that led, when you're at Mississippi State, you have to be creative in the ways that you recruit. And they would, um, almost like a Dewan Black, for instance, they would recruit a kid who there, there were great concerns, and there was, hey, can we even get him, in, get him in concerns? They wouldn't qualify initially, but they stay on that kid. I mean, they just went and saw Dewan Black this week. Um, so that's stuff that they would do at Mississippi State. They would have to go to the JUCO route at Mississippi State, and that's great. And, and, and you're getting guys. I mean, like, look at Van Jefferson, what he meant to this team. Look at Jonathan Grenard and, and what he meant to that defense last year. It's great to do that, but I think you also have to have the mentality when you're at the University of Florida that, I have this logo on my chest, and that carries weight. There's no living room in America that I should be afraid to go into because they're going to look at my chest and say, oh, yeah, I'm not going to go there. So I think you have to have that mentality of five-star in high school, don't care where he's from. If he's from Toronto, I'll fly up to Toronto and, and go recruit him. But it is really good to see what they've been able to do. But I, I, I just think you need to stop relying on it as much as they have, even though it's worked out. No doubt. We're speaking with Nick Del Torre from Gator Country. 
before we know it, spring football will be here. This team will be getting ready to practice. And they have been able to load up that receiver now with the four seniors that left. They've replaced those numbers. They've gotten Lorenzo Lingard with LaMichael Piran on his way out. There are not too many question marks with the team going into spring ball, but there are some. What are some things that you're going to want to be seeing from these guys uh, once spring rolls around? Uh, well, I mean, let's start just at quarterback. And I want to see Kyle Trask, Emory Jones. And here we go. I, I'm sure the people who listen to this today, this will spark uh, the, the quarterback Twitter controversy and debate of the day. But I want to see those two guys. And I want to see Anthony Richardson, kid from right down the street. I want to see what he looks like. I'm just intrigued to see what he looks like. How does, that, how does the running back shake out? You know, obviously in the spring, depth charts aren't huge, not, you know, hugely important, but with Pierce, Lingard, Davis, and Iverson Clement, can't forget about Naquan Wright as well, a redshirt freshman. How does that shake out? I want to see Trent Winnemore and Jamarcus Weston. Two years ago, Dan, uh, Dan Mullins, I'm a huge Jamarcus Weston fan. He spent last year redshirting, so I'm ready to see what he's got, what he's, what he's got going and how he's developed. And um, the offensive line. So you're, you're really bringing back four guys to me who take that center spot as a Brent Heggie at guard and, you know, the guys like Griffin McDowell, we haven't seen a ton of, Kingsley, Egwukon, Ethan White, Riley Simmons, William Harrod, Michael Tarquin. I want to see those guys that, you know, we thought a lot about coming in. And then, of course, Josh Braun, who's, you know, as big as the broad side of the barn um, <laughs> on offense. And then, Sixty, how, how do you fill in for – Jeremiah Moon won't be playing, so how do you fill in for uh, Moon and Grenard, and, and then what are you doing at safety is really what I'm going to be looking at on defense. Definitely, and I think the fact that Brent Cox is now going to be available, that's mm-hmm. going to be exciting to see what he can do on the defensive side of the ball. And other five stars that they were able to uh, get from the Georgia Bulldogs. And speaking of those Georgia Bulldogs, final thing for this football conversation, Nick, as we go into 2020, I, I think with Jake Fromm, leaving most people look at florida now as the favorite in the sec east i came out on twitter a couple weeks ago and said i think that they might be able to even go farther than that depending on what they show but what is the potential in the ceiling for the gators in 2020 because of some of the other elite teams in the conference and the quarterbacks that they've lost um i mean when you look at florida's schedule and listen it's an sec schedule so it's not easy. It's never going to be easy, but when you pull it up and you, and you look at it, it really, really plays in Florida's favor. I mean, Eastern Washington, Kentucky at home, you have to travel to Tennessee, our favorite trip. Later in the year, you travel to Vanderbilt, but you get South Carolina at home, LSU at home, Ole Miss, who knows what they're going to be, but that's going to be interesting uh, for sure with Lane Kiffin. It, it really, you look at the schedule, and it really there's two games to circle. One is October 10th at LSU, or with LSU at home, and then on October 31st on Halloween, Georgia, uh, trick or treat there. I think Florida has the chance and should be the favorite to come out of the East. And that's just where I put it. And if you're coming out of the East, you have a chance to be in the playoff picture because uh, yes. I don't think even a one loss SEC team is going to be held out of that playoff contention. So, you know, without talking out of both sides of my mouth, if I say I think Florida's in the uh, coming out of the East, and I think Florida's a playoff contender next year. I just think the way that Dan Mullen has built up this team, where the roster is at, where the numbers are at, like the timing of it all makes sense for 2020 to be a year where Florida can now contend. Like I think obviously the first year they're just trying to set a standard. 
this past season they're trying to raise the bar. I think 2020 they're ready to take that next step and, and become the type of program that I think Kevin O'Sullivan has over there with baseball. And that team got underway last Friday. Nick, I, I know that that's your baby. Covered that uh, Florida baseball team harder than anyone. Two years removed from a national championship. Obviously, some struggles last season. But what do you think about this group that uh, Kevin O'Sullivan's taking to this year? Yeah, they're 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 going to be good again. I don't know where Stelly gets them, but he's got his you know group of guys that they make in some lab or grow on some trees in, in Gainesville. Freshmen that throw 100 miles an hour. They got really a really good core of young talent. Austin Langworthy returns for his uh, seventh eighth year, I think. He's been, he's seen and he's been around forever, but you've got a really good mix of older players, and by older I mean juniors. You know Brady Smith comes back, got a Jordan Butler who you know a two way guy. Um, other guys that are only sophomores that had a ton of playing time last year. A pitcher like Christian Scott, Nick Pogue, Ben Specks, a guy that'll come out of the bullpen still. Chris Armstrong's one that's really impressed me as a two way guy. He pitched a little bit, but he's a big power lefty bat. And then they've got freshmen that um, you know probably shouldn't be on college campuses. Kid Brandon Sprout, he'll be coming out of the bullpen, but he's been throwing 95 to 98, a right-handed pitcher. And Ooh. then uh, Hunter, Hunter Barco, who's a lefty, he'll play first base because he can mash and also will pitch. He's a guy that probably, well, not probably, but was projected to be a top-five-round pick. For whatever reason, it didn't happen. Once he didn't go in the top three rounds, kind of made his decision that he was coming to school. So he's an absolute steal to get. And then, Friday, Saturday is going to be Jack Leftwich and, um, and Tommy Mace, guys that we saw last year. Kind of never really put it together. Leftwich had um, an ankle injury and dealt with blisters all year, and Mace was kind of up and down. But, um, those are going to be your Friday, Saturday night guys until they prove that they can't handle it. So it's a really deep, really talented team, and, and I'm interested to see them getting, you know, get into it and to see how they handle, you know, an early trip down to Miami with Miami being ranked number three in the country right now. Definitely. That's always uh, an interesting matchup when those two rivals meet. And one more thing on baseball, Nick. Coach O'Sullivan decided to make a coaching change after the season. Uh, what are your thoughts on the new assistant that he's brought on board and, and how that might be able to help the Gators? Yeah, that, it was. Uh, Sully's been in, in Gainesville for a really long time and never had a coaching change. And so for me, that was you know my first time going out to uh, practice and seeing that change was, was awkward, I guess. Um, <laughs> but they wanted to, sh- they wanted to shake things up and, and they wanted to get, you know, some new blood in there. They wanted to have um, a coach who was a little bit younger and um, could go out and recruit and Chuck Jerollman, um had showed that in, in his previous stops. So played at Auburn. So he's familiar with the SEC. He's had players drafted. He played uh, coached at TCU, coached at JU, coached at USF. Really good coach, really young guy. It seems like the, the new players and, and the guys on the team have taken to him. So it'll be interesting to see how, he, how they, they handle things. Uh, we'll see Chuck is the guy that's doing infield outfield before games now. So if you're out of games and not Lars anymore, Chuck's handling it. And uh, we'll see how he does this year. And, uh, you know, baseball recruiting is not like football recruiting. This, they start recruiting these guys in sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. Uh, and guys are committing by freshman, sophomore year. It's incredible to see what O'Sullivan has built here. And like you said, this year after year, they continue to bring talent to this campus. And a lot of times guys that probably should be playing professionally, but they want to come mm-hmm. play at UF and they want to come play for O'Sullivan. Because they know they're going to be developed and they know they're going to 
if they do what they're supposed to do, they know, hey, in three years, I will get drafted higher and make more money if I just – and listen, it's a lot easier and more cushy to travel uh, with the University of Florida or any D1 baseball program than it is to uh, ride around on, you know, a single-A bus somewhere. D1 baseball Florida, the program of the decade, which, you know, just goes to show you the job that Kevin O'Sullivan and, and all of his coaching staff and everyone around the program has done. And here's the crazy thing. Program of the decade with absolutely – no facilities whatsoever. So, I mean, what's going to happen now when they unveil that new park and, and all the amenities that are going to be there? It's just going to take Florida baseball to the next level. Yeah, I'm getting my tour soon, Zach. I'll, uh, I'll take some pictures and we'll see, what, we'll see what's going on. But it's going to be a beautiful park, state-of-the-art and everything. And, and most importantly, it's going to be great for the players to have up-to-par facilities and weight room and, and recovery areas, you know, whether it's sauna or massage or, or whatever they have going on now, it's also going to be a great experience for fans. I've been to a lot of parks that this, this populace has designed, including the Ameritrade in Omaha, and they do a really, really good job. It's, it's not over the top and too commercialized. It's just a really nice, intimate environment to watch baseball. You don't want to go watch baseball, you know, in, in a stadium that's meant for football. And, and this design company that Florida used has a lot of experience with uh, with you in ballparks. So I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it next year. Well, Nick, always appreciate your time. But hold on. I got, I got to get you on record real quick. Okay, let's do it. Super Bowl pick. Well, I got to go with the Chiefs, and the reason why is I'm a big Honey Thunder fan. Big so Honey like, Thunder fan. <laughs> I'd like to see uh, Demarcus Robinson win a Super Bowl. That That passing offense is uh, fun to watch, and I also think it's hard to stop. So, I mean, if if anybody could do it, it might be that 49ers defense, but uh, I'm just hoping we get a good game. I mean, Chiefs, I think it's going to be a good game, too, and I got one more for you. This is my favorite prop bet of every Super Bowl. Demi Lovato is singing the national anthem. Over under one minute and 56 seconds for the national anthem Super Bowl, which always runs long because you get that kind of stage, and hey, I'm going to take advantage of it. Yeah, I'm definitely going over, without a doubt. Over. That's a long song. She's not going to stick to it, man. She's going to try and own the moment. Yeah, okay. I'll ride the other, just so we're different. (laughs) That's right. Well, I hope you all enjoyed the uh, life advice and football and baseball knowledge from Nick. Appreciate the time, as always, man. We'll catch up with you again soon. All right. Appreciate that. Florida basketball back in action on Tuesday night in the O-Dome against the Mississippi State. Like the Gators, who lost to number one Baylor on Saturday, Mississippi State also lost in the SEC Big 12 Challenge, falling 63-62 at Oklahoma. But in their previous three games in SEC play, the Bulldogs won three straight against Missouri, Georgia, and Arkansas. Here's what Mike White had to say about Mississippi State and the challenge that they'll present his players. We'll be prepared for these guys. You know, Mississippi State, is if they don't have our guys' attention, then something's wrong with us. They're extremely talented and top four in the SEC in both offensive and defensive efficiency, one of the best shot-blocking teams in the country. I think they're second right now in all of college basketball and offensive rebounding. It seems like I think we've played like the last 10 games have been the best 10 offensive rebounding teams in the country. Our guys, who I, we might as well put the number up there today on the screen so they believe us because uh, it seems like that's just been a constant theme. Um, we've got to defend our glass, obviously. They're, they're so good at defending the interior as well. Their size, um, they can play a couple different ways like us. Uh, it'll be a high-level SEC game. 
uh, two teams that, uh, that need a win. That'll do it for the latest edition of Locked on Gators. On today's show, we talk some Florida football and Florida baseball with Nick Del Torre from GatorCountry.com. We also previewed the latest matchup for Florida basketball against Mississippi State. On tomorrow's show, we will recap that game. Make sure you stay tuned to Locked on Gators, your team every day.